Hey everyone, I am so excited to welcome you to this ultimate, uh, as in last, uh, episode of the Free Money Podcast for the year 2023. Um, our guest in this episode was actually my roommate in Brooklyn's infamous McKibben Lofts when uh, the Free Money Podcast first got started. And I think, you know, it's really wonderful to finally bring them onto the show to talk about the lessons from their work as a sex educator and uh, intimacy coordinator, and what we can learn from that um, as investment decision makers and, you know, sort of governance dorks, right? Um, we really talk deeply about consent in this episode. What is it? How do you know it's there? Um, what are the frameworks for us to conceive of it in our day-to-day -day lives? And really, how does it apply to, uh, you know, the, the sort of fuzzy questions about uh, governance and approval that uh, we encounter just as, you know, people who make decisions on a delegated basis, right? That's what I do for a living. People give me money and I make decisions on their behalf. Um, you know, there are so many really interesting tools that come out of this. And you can actually, you know, when we release the video, you'll be able to see Ashby's head explode a couple of times when he realizes the implications of this consent frame for making the abstract questions around governance that we wrestle with all the time a lot more tangible and intuitive, uh, you know, as we, you know, try to navigate them day to day. Um, you know, we also, as usual, talk about all sorts of things, uh, you know, ranging from, you know, our kind of takes on, you know, some of the big stories of the year. Uh, we didn't belabor AI. Don't worry about it. I'm sure you've heard plenty about that. Um, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, as always, we, you know, talk about what's been hard for, for us and, um, you know, talk about, you know, to answer questions from you. If you'd like to ask a question in an upcoming episode, please just reach out, freemoneypod at gmail.com, or you can go right to freemoneypodcast.com and just fill out a form. Um, and, you know, while you're doing things on our behalf, just a quick plea, um, and I'd like you to know that I'm on my knees begging right now. Not really. Um, but leave us a review in your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us find uh, a new audience and you know, although this podcast is the coziest platform in the world, and, you know, in part, the, the smallness of our audience is what enables us to take so many creative risks, because we are actually in day-to-day -day contact with many of you. Um, you know, there's, there's no harm in letting other people into the circle, right? Um, so with that said, I wish you all a tremendous 2024. I am so grateful to you for the attention, engagement, and energy you put into our little weird project here. And I'm sending you just a big hug from out here in Utah. Bye. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the disclosure pirate. And I'm here to set you straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan or Tell is a spreadsheet wench that works for Invest Vegan LLC a Utah-registered investment advisor, and the Woodcash Public Benefit Corporation. Yar, Ashby Monk is a sea dog that works for Stanford University, and KDX, when he's not minding the binnacle on the poop deck of this here man-o'-war. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own and do they reflect the opinions of our crew and or any company. 
clients of InvestVegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where InvestVegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Yar, thanks for listening. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. This is the Provo Palo Alto connection about institutional investing that you desperately crave. And I think we we mostly did things kind of right this time so far, at least a little bit, Ash. Just joking. <laughs> Just joking. Oh my goodness. That's my for those of you that are not old, that's the sound of a fax machine. It's yeah, I mean, like I actually, you know, am I have a fax machine uh you know for for work because i you know i kind of have to yeah um but it's i don't fortunately i admit i don't think we uh nope i don't no fax machine that's that's what happens when you get to your level you know like you get you could just be like you know what now if you try to fax no i imagine i imagine yeah maybe i use like lawyers to send faxes at this point Mm -hmm. in my life (laughs) um but i'm imagining the sec requires faxes for certain items though i could be wrong it's more other firms. Like it's more when people, when you're transferring money over from like some insurance company that doesn't want to give it to you, they're like, all right, so this form must be printed out and faxed and all sorts of stuff that I just am so glad to not be thinking about. Uh, True statement. There's a lot that happens uh, in the world today by voice. Yep. And uh, that's like the last bastion of safety in the financial services industry where it's like, oh, Let's verify on the telephone. Exactly. But like, is that that much better? I mean, like, I, well, I feel that's like- what I was about to say, Sloan. <laughs> Are we about to lose that with the artificial oh, yeah. intelligent robots that can make things sound like your voice so easily? I don't know. I mean, I don't I, like I, I've, you know, pretended to be like my mom. My mom couldn't speak for a long time. And, you know, like because she had a, she was a laryngectomy. So she had a like her vocal cords were removed. Oh, my gosh. And like, you know, I don't like my voice doesn't sound that conventionally feminine, but I've pretended to be her on the phone lots of times. Uh, that is fascinating. Because, uh, yeah, you got to imagine that as we put the countermeasures into place mm-hmm. to avoid the AI robot stealing your voice, that certain true, truly caring and useful things like you've just described will go away. I can remember the classic, classic AOL um, thing where the guy tried to cancel the internet for his mom. Do you remember? That was like... That predates me. Oh, my God. It's the best recording of a phone call outside of Jerky Boys. I mean, Jerky Boys are still the best. Yeah, like, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. But this, uh, this guy's like, I just... I'm trying to cancel my mom's AOL and like the dude just would not let him do do it. And uh, anyway, it actually, it was like quite a big problem for AOL because it was like clear that the guy had like things he wasn't allowed to do. And one of them was like cancel an account. You know, I think that there was some, um, I mean, Amazon just paid a settlement related to that um, because they were like kind of hiding their, um cancellation options like deep in menu hell somewhere in there 
Um, you know, and I think the New York Times did as well, actually, get in some trouble for that. Interesting. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of shame going around. Uh, Yeah. Well, um, how much time do I have time for news and things like that? Yeah, time for news. Give me me some shit. Because I put together a special 2023 end of the year news. Yeah, like I wanted to be like, oh, screw this. Like, we're not going to do today's news like I sometimes do. And that's a great section of the show. The secret is that it's never really today's news from the standpoint of Oh, yeah, reaction. that's true. By the time you hear it, it's last quarter's news. Well, no, I, what I mean is that this space moves so slowly and the developments you track are so esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's someone true. could legitimately go and listen to like our first episode and still get news from it. You could. This little nuggets are timeless, Sloan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will also admit that I was very frustrated with a certain article published in a certain paper about a friend of ours. You might have mm-hmm. missed it, but I'm not going to say who, because I don't want to give this article any credence because it's filled with baloney. I mean, it was a hit, I, it was a hit job on a friend of ours, Sloan, who we're not going to say. I, I'm excited to figure out who this is after the after we turn off the cameras. But the uh, but yeah, like. It's I think that that is part of growing up is like, you know, I, I think, you know, I realized that I kind of was a relevant person once I started getting trolls. Um, yeah, you know, and like, say, like, same thing, like having friends who are dragged through the muck or like who are, you know, kind of get on the wrong side of of stuff. You know, that feels like a maturation to me in the industry. Yeah. Well, here's a little, here's the part that really made me, first of all, I read the whole article twice. There was nothing actually bad, but the, the big moment was when our friend approved the raise, um, to live in New York city as a chief investment officer approved a raise, a 10% raise to $255,000 a year to live in New York city. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? That's way underpaid. It's like what yeah. my mom and the article was like, oh, this person's now being paid more than the mayor. It's like, can we stop comparing pension managers to public servants like the mayor yep. and start comparing them to football coaches and hedge fund managers? Yep. Anyway, I just drives yeah. me so bananas. Yeah. I almost like, gave yeah, this, it away there, but this chief I'm just so sad for a, our friend because yeah. you know, going into the holidays, you just don't deserve these type of hit jobs. Anywho. It's I, I actually had an, another friend just get a get a hit job by a conservative. I'm sure this is a conservative media outlet with it just like looking for reasons to to snipe at people, mm. um, you know, and like I, I feel like, you know, what's so funny is that we actually do do some radical stuff around here, uh, yeah. you know, but like the people, the things that people take pot shots at our communities and homies for are the most boring and necessary parts of it. And like actually make our lives harder. Like a lot of what I do is try to convince them to pay pension staff more so they don't quit and go to the dark side. <laughs> and this is like an article all about giving a 10% raise to somebody to keep them in their seat. And it's like, yeah. it's not even and that he, much money. And for know? those of you following along at home, this is someone who would be like overseeing allocations in the billions of dollars to, yeah. you know, hedge funds and stuff like that on behalf of retirees. Anywho, here's what I was thinking I would do for my news, because it's 2023, and I think there were some big themes, and so I'm going to let you do a choose-your-own-adventure of the four topics. You can, like, let's just say you can pick two of the following four, Sloan. Okay. I'm ready to talk about all of them, okay? 
because I come prepared. This is, I, I can tell you freaking teach. This is such a like teacher move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is like the kind of stuff I do. Um, all right, so I want to talk. Like we could talk about AI. Mm-hmm. Really, I think twenty twenty three is the year that, at least in the institutional investor world, yep. AI became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about ESG, one of our favorite topics. Uh, 2023 is the year that people decided that fake data and virtue signaling does not count as sustainability. I think we tend to agree with that point, but we also don't like the backlash that has come with that. I I never thought that I would be defending ESG. Uh, Let's definitely not talk about that one. Okay. Well, you got two more. The the next two might be so bad that you come back to that one. You don't know. Um, Number three topic, private equity and venture capital pain. It's like, for the longest time, call it 30 years, it was just yep. awesome to be in those asset classes. It was the greatest place to be. It was the billionaire factory. Those of you that don't know that, the interest rate environment has crushed some of the dreams and hopes, or the reverse of the, those two, hopes and dreams of these uh, of managers. We can talk about that. And then last but not least, the one that I hope you don't pick, but I feel like we need to put it out there, is geopolitics and wars. Uh, it is on the minds of all the investors. So you've got AI, ESG, PEVC, geopolitics. I, th- I think let's talk about AI and let's talk about, you know, pain in private equity let's and venture capital. Because like, I mean, I like that, that, that to me is like, you know, chickens coming home to roost. And I think like, there are yeah. plenty of people rooting for that. Yeah, because um, yeah, there's a lot of billionaires that might have gotten free money over the last thirty years. Like you know, later on you're going to ask me a question: How do you redeem free money? Some of those uh, doors are closing, and I think one of those doors closing is just how rich you can get from being a private equity or venture capital manager. It's getting harder. Thank, thank God. I mean, like it, it, for the longest time, it was just like I mean, in the like when. My dad started doing it in the 90s and, you know, it's just like you get free money. You literally get free money. You go buy a company with an overfunded pension. You take the pension out. You pay yourself a dividend. You pay yourself a management fee for running the company. Yep. And then you get to pay yourself with carried interest and not pay taxes on your income uh, because it's theoretically investing. It was just the most overprivileged nonsense I've ever heard of or seen. It is it is wild, and it's changing in part because of the interest rate environment. And we're just doing the private equity first, the venture capital yep. first. So it's changing because of the interest rate environment. For those that don't know, we had inflation. The Fed jumped in and did a, some pretty heavy duty inflation hikes. That affected the fundamentals of the private equity um, investment model, where you basically have free money and you do leverage buyouts. And you go buy companies and, you, you know, the cost of capital is almost free and you can, you can really make money, you know, just throwing darts when you have free money like that. And, and the way that works, just to kind of outline it for yeah. folks who are following along at home is like, let's say that, you know, you have a private equity fund, they might decide to buy a company. Like, let's say they decide to buy the free money podcast. We're obviously worth a billion dollars. Do it. Um, you know, right. And, and yep. you know, yeah. And we'll cash that check. Uh, <laughs> you know, but to, to actually buy us for a billion dollars, they might put, you know, a hundred million in and borrow right. the other 900, right? So that 900 uh, uh, million, 90% of the overall, you know, thing that they're dedicating to us is they're just getting from promiscuous debt markets. And so when the Fed raises interest rates, that really harshes their mm-hmm. melon. 
Exactly. So they're really only putting up, a, you know, 100 million to get this amazing podcast. They're relying on banks to pay for the rest. And that's where the interest rate comes in. And when those interest rates go up, it changes the entire modeling of value creation. Yep. And so that happened. And then at the same time, the pain for the venture capital industry was the knock-on effects in public markets from that interest rate hike, which seemed to target disproportionately the technology firms. Yep. And you saw a very big contraction in uh, the multiples applied to these firms. Now, for those that are following at home, I'm going to try my, my educational style here, Sloan. When you value a company, you look at the revenues, you look at the net income, you look at whatever you can, and you look at the industry, what you call the comparables, and you say, oh, that company is trading at 12 times revenue. Well, that's what we should trade at. Incredibly, the venture capital industry was assigning multiples for software companies 20 times revenue, 25 times revenue, and they have contracted back to about 12 times. And so all these venture capital firms that were marking up companies incredibly were then forced to mark them down. And that has knock-on consequences across the entire industry as pension fund CIOs say things like, do we really want this asset class? Look at the bad performance. Um, and so and now- and the, Yeah, and all of the monitoring risks and stuff like that. And just to kind of you know, underline the multiples thing a little bit, you know, the multiple of sales is probably, you know, that's the top line of an income mm. statement, right? Right. Um, listeners are probably familiar with the price to earnings ratio, which is the bottom line of an income statement. After you take yes. all the stuff that like you have to spend money on to do a company out, right? So, you know, you're, you might like, you know, of sales, maybe 20% might make it to the bottom line. And, you know, it, then it's sort of traditional to have like, you know, 20, 30 times earnings as a multiple. 20 times sales as a multiple is uh, promiscuous, to say the least, or was promiscuous. It is. Yeah. And but, you know, just to, just to toot your people. own horn, Sloan, I don't know if, you're, if I'm allowed to do this. We might need to delete this later. But you, turns out, are a pretty darn good investor. <sighs> I just got my statement. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You're pretty I, good I at was, this. Well, I was like sending it around to all of our other clients and you're technically, you are a client. I do have a fiduciary obligation. So I figured I should send you some reporting. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like this has been a great year. And like the reason that we were able to do okay, I think is because like we have always focused on cash flow as a, as a measure of risk, which right. is, you know, kind of very different from a lot of sustainable managers who tend to be like, all right, this thing is going to grow so much. Like that yeah. works in a, a market where people are paying 20x sales, but you know, it's, it's always hard to find, it's always, it's hard to underwrite that for me. Yeah. Well, you did awesome. And I'm just proud of you. Um, Thank you know, I think you. I was one of your first investors. You were, and you actually wound up lagging the rest of my accounts because you invested with me too early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just common problem. Uh, it's all right. I was there. <laughs> I wanted to give you some momentum, you know? Yeah, exactly. Get, but get I think I put a little bit more money in later. Like, so yep. I did it, I did an amount and then I did another half amount or something. Oop, that's some I, serious... I think your other half amount was like, somehow even worse timing than your first amount, which is really amazing. Uh, okay, good so to know. Impressive. Uh, um, I do not know how to time markets. I think that's my problem. So I the mean, next topic, because I feel like term. we're going to run yeah, out of time. Yeah. Sorry, I keep talking over you. I feel like you're a little quieter than me. Oh, I, you know what? I bet you it's a setting. 
Boop, shit. Boop, beep, beep, bop, boop. How's that? Can you hear me better? Oh, even better. Oh, yeah. Oh, like wow. change setting changes. Uh, uh, yeah, next topic ahead. is AI. Oh, yeah. Is, did anything happen there? I mean, like AI, you know, I haven't heard any hype about that hmm. at all. Well, it's been fun. It's You've probably gotten lost in the soap opera that was people losing jobs and getting their jobs back. Yep. Um, but beyond the open eighty um, season one drama, uh, and it might actually be season five drama. I don't know. I haven't been following it that closely. But we have had um, just a real uptake in the asset owner world of generative AI. And I would say I hear pension funds talking about the Microsoft Copilot mm-hmm. almost on the daily. Like everybody's like, yeah, we're trying it. I will admit that I have not heard anybody say we found a great use case. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, OK, this is something that could be valuable eventually. I mean, apart from writing free money podcast blog posts, I think that's yep. going to be like in your deregulated entity where you can say, all right, take these podcast notes and then like, yeah, you know, turn them into something like where, you know, the it's risk beautiful. of you know, it mistranscribing one of my various fucks and, and shits or whatever mm. is pretty low, mm-hmm. you know, but like to, for client facing stuff, oh my gosh, that would be a nightmare. Or like, it would be, I've had, I, there's someone pitched me like a thing that's like uh chat GPT for index funds where you can like tell it to do something. It'll build an index fund for you. And I was like, um, I don't even know how I could diligence that or underwrite that. That sounds insane to me. It, it does sound insane. Now the beauty, and I think we're our guest is probably going to arrive in a second. They are good? in the lobby. Um, okay, hold on. Let me say the beauty, and then we'll get to the guest. The beauty is not the quality of the technology. The beauty is the awakening. It's like the age of Aquarius for technologists. Okay, <laughs> I have seen the musical Hair. I almost sang the song Age of Aquarius, but I didn't. Uh, That's all I ship right there. <laughs> seeing the musical but not singing it <laughs> exactly um and uh and so every pension fund for the first time is like oh ashby let's talk about let's talk about data and getting good governance of that data and then how uh, to build that into new analytics it's like just the the rise of chat gpt and the freak out that everybody has had about this um technology disrupting the white collar has been this like opening for me to go and have conversations that I've dreamed about, but haven't really been given the the freedom to go and like talk to the highest levels of the highest pension funds about their tech stack. So anyway, I just wanted to like say at the end of 2023, that feels pretty cool going into 2024. That's 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 exciting. That's kind of like, uh, you know, when the blockchain got fascinating in the C-suite for a second, except it like matters. Yeah, Um, you know, exactly. we're we're pivoting from the from the white collar to the kink collar or the restraint oh collar here. Oh my goodness! Uh, for a conversation about consent with one of my best friends, Bahar Baharlu. They are a Brooklyn-based intimacy coordinator and sex educator. Um, Amazing. They are uh, also, I, I think, an honorary member. Of the, they were my roommate when we started this podcast. Oh my god! Um, you know, so I uh, I think it's overdue in some ways. Oh my gosh! Hello. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Bahar Baharlo? And you're in your bike shop. I love it. I'm in the bike shop coming to you live from Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Um, Amazing. It's a very With slow the... day. It's kind of been a, it's actually been only me in the shop. It was, there was kind of a little snafu and I'm the only one, but my gracious boss is here covering for one hour while I just chill in the back. 
<laughs> and talk awesome. consent with us. I love it. How are y'all? We're great. I love seeing the bike wheels in the background. It gives me a flashback to my youth where no. I used to race on those bicycles. Oh, yeah? I did, yeah. There was a time when I was... I admit my common joke is this was 50 pounds ago. Uh, because now I'm like 220, I'm 220 pounds and you can't be that big and be a decent cyclist. So Your I was like 160 pounds. Pretty fast. <laughs> you could, especially if you did track cycling. I think yeah. that would be my thing now, but I, I used to, I used to do like time trials. Oh, damn. Nice. Yeah. To see it. Yeah. We've got a lot but, of fast boys here. <laughs> I, I mean so like let's say i mean fast boys is a great segue into i think the first question i have which is like you know I, like said yeah perfect yeah like I, you know I, I think like the what what kind of got me thinking about you know you posted posted some stuff on your instagram over the the last couple of weeks that got me going you know now is the time to have them on the podcast to talk about mm. consent but you know we're talking to a really big range of people from you know like people we bump into at the vegan co-ops to like you know very nice middle-aged white men who don't really necessarily have that much of a background yeah. <laughs> True. So, what is the definition of consent how do you personally define it? yeah consent 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 there's so many it's been such a word that's been turned over and over and over again in um like i mean in professional the professional world as well as private life, right? As a sex educator, it's been applied to certain things in terms of that. And then also when it comes to like my other professional life as an intimacy coordinator, um, but but the, the basics are very simple. Consent is an embodied and ongoing state of listening. Um, and I think that that is... Uh, a great umbrella way to really talk about it when it can apply to really anything in your life, how, how you raise your children, how do you go to the doctor, how you hire someone, how you have sex with somebody. They all, this, this type of, I think this definition really applies to the way that we interact with each other in the world and also ourselves. Um, I think one of the biggest things that people don't realize is that, um, a lot of the times you shut out yourself when you think about the decisions you make, or you're not really listening to what your body is telling you or what your, not only body, but just kind of like the scope of your future is telling you um, when you make decisions. So yeah, I would say embodied listening. It's way, it's consent is not permission. It's not a checklist. Um, it's ongoing and engaged. So, I so love that. that. I would almost want to apply it immediately to the investment universe, uh, <laughs> but I think Sloan would get crabby at me. Uh, but no, that's why they're on the podcast. Okay, good. <laughs> because I hear you say that it's like so much of the investment decision making. So I run pension funds and things like that. That's what I focus on. Mm -hmm. And we do checklists and, and we run process. And like mm -hmm. to hear you think about like, consenting to an investment or consenting to doing a transaction mm -hmm. it's 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 a starts with listening and being present and monitoring there's all it sounds to me like there's almost like a continuum of a decision right it's not it's not like a point in time it, it Very much so. that point of time is actually just maybe the beginning of the history or a part of the history anyway yeah 
permission, permission or checklist, those can be part of consent, but they're a very small part. Consent is a multifaceted thing that's consistently moving. It's again, that embodied thing is about listening and, and seeing how things change and being honest with yourself and also being aware of how many different things rely on your decision, you know, kind of like the organism of what you're deciding to do. If it is, you know, this kind of like life decision or, or, you know, think, thinking about how many people it affects and how many, you know, again, places, organisms, I think, I think that it affects really. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, so let's talk about this in like, in, you know, kind of your day job as, or your, you know, your kind of um, freelance role as an intimacy coordinator where you're brought in like to, you know, like to help, you know, basically, you know, the business problem is, um, you know, they need to shoot a sex scene or they need to shoot something where that involves nudity or, you know, bits on bits or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it, you know, how much agency does an actor really have there? Do they understand that agency? Yeah. Um, and like, how could, how, what can you really do in that context where some, you know, like something has to happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of this, it's interesting. So, you know, the idea of a contract um, that kind of has to happen when you're hired as an actor, um, as an intimacy coordinator, one of the major things I do is I am this no, power dynamics always exist. There's no there's no situation where a power dynamic does not exist. There's the power dynamic of expertise. There's a power dynamic of author like authority. There's power dynamics of just age, of uh, gender. Those things always exist, right? So, one of the other things I also say about consent is it's never really you can't really per- be perfect, and that kind of gives people an ick feeling um because they're like oh well i want to make sure that i'm not hurting anyone um but you have to consider that we're all human um but as an actor so you get hired for a role one of the things that i try to impress on producers directors actors is to read the script and in the script in the hiring process in the audition room they should be aware of the scenes that are in the script. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a set and in theory, people know that there's going to be a nudity or sex scene, but they're just like, oh, how are we actually going to do this? Like uh, no one thinks about it until they're standing there and they have to take their clothes off or they have to like, you know, do some sort of thing. And intimacy coordinators are also hired for scenes that don't necessarily involve sex or nudity, but are high intensity scenes like kidnappings or assaults that maybe have an erotic nature or you know things like that so sometimes people on set don't even know what's being shot that day like the boom operator is just like here i'm here to hold a microphone and they're standing over a scene that might be something that they've experienced and they're just like oh my god nobody told me um but yeah, so uh, I think I lost my my ramble a little bit. But yeah, so an actor understands, they have to understand from the get when they're hired, you know, like, okay, there might be a sex scene, there might be a nudity scene. Um, and I come in as a power dynamic mitigator because I'm not the director, I'm not the producer. I don't have a stake in the film being shot, if that makes any sense. My stakes don't, I, I could care less whether or not the actor takes their top off that's not my goal 
Um, my goal is to make sure that the boundaries are made aware by everyone in the room. Everyone knows what's being shot and everyone can do it safely, mentally and physically safely, as I also choreograph these scenes. And I also make sure that we can do it in a repeatable way so that if we need to get more shots, which is so often the case in film, um, that's possible. So, yeah. I, the most part of my job is talking to everybody days and days and days before the shoot. So talking to the director, getting an understanding of what they want, and then talking to the actors and kind of putting it in this way that's like, okay, do you understand there's a sex scene? Have you done one before? Um, what are you expecting? Um, is there anything that you definitely don't want on the table? And then I, I create a writer. Um, and a writer is interesting because a writer elaborates on what they're comfortable it's the full range of what they're comfortable doing that day but even though it's written on a page and they sign it you can always pull back from a writer you can always do less than what the writer says you can never do more so I tell actors here's the scene it's a sex scene yada 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 um right now in this conversation with me you can say like I don't want to show anything. I don't want anything to show. And I don't want it to look like I'm bent over. Say that's like the, the, the boundary or whatever. And then on the day you realize like, Oh, the cast feels pretty comfortable. Oh, it looks like it's a closed set, which is always the case in a sex scene. There has to be the least amount of people in the room as possible. Um, and I feel really comfortable. I'd like to do more. We can't, we'd have to go back, rewrite the writer and shoot another day. So I tell them like in this room with me, agree to what you want to agree to and on the day if the vibe shift is different if you feel off we can always do less always 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 and it's happened before it's happened that may, this, so, i mean I, I i'm picking up points of dialogue as you as your eyebrows go up and down ash i'm picking up uh you know so, <laughs> yeah you know I'm, i look what what i'm interested so what you've described is like a delegation framework and um you know, it's critical to like effective decision making and putting people like in a in a position where they feel like they can have agency. Yeah, um, we design the I design them like I design delegation frameworks, not for, um, you know, nude scenes and movies, but for, you know, pension fund investors to deploy <laughs> capital. Um, <laughs> it checks out. I know. Uh, and then it, but what I'm really interested, I have to admit, in the early point, when you know you're talking about like kind of getting talked in or, or feeling the moment and and like potentially being ready to move beyond that's also a very common thing in our space mm -hmm. um as is like trying to manipulate decisions and, yeah. and manipulate consent yeah. um i don't want to steal sloan's question here but but like one of the things that we hear a lot of is like scarcity being used as a means to drive a yes yeah. Uh, like, you know, a private equity manager being like, take it or leave it. Like, you know, I've got 52 other people that want this $5 million allocation. And then you will literally see like a pension professional standing up in front of their board, like thanking their manager for giving them access to this amazing two and 20. I'm using jargon here that maybe you don't understand, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole coercion. I'm just interested in understanding like the tools that you might have to avoid coercion, I guess is like the simplifying frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I the parallels are are great because it's it's again in in the in Hollywood and filmmaking and people who are artists in a country that doesn't support artists. Um it seems like that is definitely the mindset when actors and and a lot of actors there's a pushback not only from production for ICs but also from actors because they don't want to seem like they need an IC. They don't want to seem like they are uh, dramatic or or they are needy or, hmm. you know, potentially would uh, back out of an agreement. Hmm. I think that when it comes to coercion, okay, so when I teach consent, the very, very basic thing that I teach that was taught actually to me by Mia Schachter, Consent Wizard on Instagram, great mm. resource for all of these, um, for all these questions, is the, it's called the yes to no spectrum. So when you think of making a decision, you it's not, never, I think very, very rarely is it a very quick yes or a very quick no. Um, there are some hell yeses and there are some F no's. Can mm-hmm. I say fuck um, Oh yeah, you may. <laughs> I think you may. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, it's very easy. Like, would you like to eat a bowl of worms? You know, fuck no. Um, and unless, um, <laughs> yeah, I think gummy that, worms, gummy uh, worms. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so the, the, the script flips. Um, but I think that when it comes to the difference between coercion and the difference between making an informed decision based on things that'll affect your future or the production's future and what your priorities are, that's where it kind of goes, it moves around on the spectrum and everyone has one of those and everyone can kind of mitigate that. Everyone has that responsibility to sort of mitigate that themselves. Hmm. If your answers are coming from, in general, this is not an always term, but in general, if your answers are coming due to external forces you're saying yes because of what someone else might think or you're saying yes of how your career might go or blah, 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 so on and so forth, you might be closer to the middle or even closer to a no on the spectrum. Hmm. Being paid to do something that you don't necessarily like to do doesn't necessarily mean that it's coercion. It just lands on a spot on the spectrum that could mean something for your future. Does that make, does that, am I, is that kind of like- angling towards your question it is let me like tell you so it's so fun sloan you're good at this (laughs) i mean i swear where i was like this will be a fun chat but i didn't realize how much it was going to touch on like the core of what i do i was like you guys need to be in dialogue about this because it's yeah like the, there's you know there's these two very interesting worlds where people are very intelligent and and switched on but they're not in dialogue at all yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> this is my first time talking to a consent wizard. Um, but but I'm I'm pumped because so like to the point where like I'm in the process of of like building a new investment program, and mm-hmm. and one of the things that we came out and said to each other in the early days mm-hmm. was like we want to be the type of partnership that says yes if even when we are hesitant or would opt towards no. Yeah. But we want to say yes if to each other. Yeah. Because <laughs> it it opens your mind to say I'll I'll do this deal with you if yeah. we can find a way to solve these three problems. Uh-huh. And it yeah. changes the culture, right? Yeah. 
Totally. Um, and obviously, Absolutely. like we've all heard the yes and like concept of like brainstorming, and and so like anyway. Yeah. I don't that's, know if I said anything interesting. That's, that's where the agency comes in because it is a practice. And you get better at it with time. So you have to make mistakes to learn where your boundaries are sometimes. And, and not only your boundaries, but like, okay, today I'm an actor and I don't want to do a nude scene and they recast me. Mm. What, what is the outcome of this? I didn't make the money. I didn't get the screen time. Maybe some relationships with that production were, were severed or compromised. On your list of priorities, are those things detrimental to your future? Are there other ways to continue in your career without having you compromise your values and the yes come from a place of self-discovery, curiosity, uh, the joy of a challenge Mm -hmm. versus I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get blacklisted, I'm going to get yada, yada, yada. Yeah, um, and I think that in the end, sometimes it's just better to say no to jobs you don't want to do, right? Than be like, I have to because I need it, quote unquote unquote. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, and and so finding like the right reasons to say no and the right reasons to say yes, and understanding it's a spectrum, I think is like a really valuable like guiding framework. Yeah. Um, I find myself so so my the work I've been doing lately is like early stage investing in tech startups that are in a specific little niche. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to say no so much more than we say yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so one of the, like the questions and maybe there's like, you don't have a tip. It it always does because I am always somebody who, when I meet a team and we often meet teams at like the most vulnerable period in their existence, you're Mm -hmm. meeting a company that's like, we got an idea it's a very like vulnerable idea. We're going to share it with you, Ashby, as an idea. And we're going to hope that you're going to say yes. Yeah. And I actually am required to say no, like 95% of the time. Yeah. So that then would, the yeah, question that, to that you is loading. like, <laughs> how do I say no? And, and often what I'll do is I'll say no in like a different way, which is like, uh, and, and I don't want to also seem like a liar. Because a yeah. lot of the people in my space are liars. They're like, oh, it's just not right. Or, you know, once you get to this point, like, come back to us. It's like, these are fake no's. Yeah. Um, I want to be, like, authentic with a no. Um, but I also don't want to stop their momentum. You know, like, because oftentimes right. I meet companies that I'm rooting for, even if I can't yeah. invest. So I don't know if any of that makes sense in your world. But, like, understand no how to say no without killing momentum. Yeah. You know, killing the vibe in the room. Yeah, totally. Oh, God. That's such a big thing in consent too. And in, in, in just like the discussion of consent is hearing no's, accepting no's, understanding no's, being grateful for no's. Um, I think that that's also where the responsibility on the person, all of us as people who have boundaries and agency and we go into our lives expecting connection with other people, we have to almost preload no into all of our requests and communications with other people. I think yeah. just as hard as it is to ask for permission or consent or understand what someone else's boundaries are, like putting those out into the world, you have to be easy to say no to. And if you're a tech startup trying to make it in the world, and I understand absolutely jack shit about anything. <laughs> I think that that's the standard, right? You're getting, you're getting no's left and right. 
So the idea is like, if you are, if you believe in your product or if you believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing and you think you're doing the work that, you know, is required of you and yada, 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 then, then receiving a no is like not a rejection. It's a compromise of like, it's just an understanding of, I think especially why you give the no is so important. Yeah. You need to depersonalize um, it. So often we, we, you, I think your term was load the no, or maybe it was something like that, but I love yeah, that because load and, no in your requests, yeah. when somebody comes to me, I'm like, yeah. here are the reasons we'll probably say no. I'll be like, yeah. you know, you're not quite in our theme or yeah. don't understand how your product will solve this problem. And it's that right. problem that our fund exists to solve, but yeah. I'm willing to like get into this with you. If you're willing to understand that it's probably no. Right. And usually people be like, yeah, like maybe I'll learn something, but you've mm-hmm. kind of loaded that no from the get go. Yeah. And, uh, and then, but also the part that's interesting in this conversation is like really understanding what your no's are. Like yeah. the worst thing I can do as an investor is go three weeks and say no for a reason that I knew three weeks ago. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. They know at the 11th hour for a piece of information I had at hour number one, it's like right. a cardinal sin. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like this, you know, I, I like, you know, one of Ashby's recent papers was like investor identity, the ultimate driver of returns, which probably sounds pretty intuitive to you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, but like, you know, identity there being, you know, kind of defined as the set of preferences and, and, and whatnot that you know, kind of go into these decisions, you know? Um, and I think like kink spaces have a much better way of negotiating this than investment spaces do, because like, you know, it's pretty common to be like, yeah, no scat play, everything else. Maybe I'll think about it. Uh, (laughs) you know, but like the, you know, that level of, of granularity is just hard to come up with. When I was just starting invest vegan and I started, you know, talking to people about their own investment plans and how they were doing stuff, I used to say stuff to the, I used to say, let's try and build you a consensual relationship with capitalism. Mm-hmm. I've stopped saying that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, like, I, you know, and I want, I, I wonder if you could just tell me the many reasons why that's stupid or what, or is that even possible? Like, is it possible to try and consent to this like amorphous, vague thing? I, it's, that's so complicated. I think that, uh, just for the lay layman myself, um, lay lay them. Um, I, think that <laughs> capitalism, I mean, to to consent to capitalism is. I don't think that's a that's putting capitalism on your level in a way that doesn't really compute to me. Mm-hmm. Um, capitalism doesn't understand uh, human life. <laughs> it does not compute. Does that make sense? Like capitalism is this like cold, unfeeling thing that we are all bound to and i think a lot of the times like people conflate making money or spending money as capitalism quote unquote but it's just something that we are bound to do because we are in within its grasp if that makes sense so i don't think that it it computes because it's just not compatible to consent to capitalism but in terms of like consenting under capitalism i think that spectrum comes super super in handy when you're thinking about like if I make money, that feeds me, it houses me, it gives me rest to possibly fight the system another day. It gives me uh, 
resources to invest in things that I actually, and now I'm speaking in your language, to invest in things that I actually feel like are counterintuitive to capitalism or mm-hmm. are, are mutual aid based or, you know, uh, in, invest in my community and my family and my friends in a way that capitalism doesn't want me to, to do, you know what I mean? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is tricky because you have to whatever i guess like you're a cog trying to gum up the works but i don't know i don't know it's very complicated can i be like the 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 conservative nut job right now and say i wonder i wonder if capitalism is easier to provide consent or say no within than the bureaucratic state having lived around the world Mm um you know the ability to to like respond to a warm, you know, um, cup of coffee and a friendly face in a cafe, just a simple example with a, yeah. with a big tip and the decision to like make that my local. Yeah. That's a capitalist activity that feels very human yeah. that I would consent to. Whereas like having gone through, like I lived in France for three years and I lived in the UK for five, like, like I sometimes those bureaucratic, um, ecosystems there isn't space for you to provide those additional kind of well, i don't know it, it, repeat incentives like i have choice on where to go and i'm going to go somewhere else i'm going to go to a different doctor because you guys are mean no like you're in a system where you have to go to that doctor so anyway i'm just saying like we're we're calling capitalism the like you know it's the big cold thing but like we don't need to consent to the cold like we can actually like spend our money in the way that Sloan is doing with Invest Vegan to like we can actually like participate in the parts that we like, and then capitalism becomes that. At least that's my dream. That yeah. it becomes the warm place because it is actually just a coordination mechanism for people like us. Interesting. I think that <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I just think that. I just don't see that applying to every single being on this earth. Oh, I agree. I you know mean, what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, the, base, the baseline of privilege. is such an illusion. I know. Um, but I think that yeah. it's much more accessible to a, a, quite a few people and much more inaccessible to most. Like, yep. I was yep. in a conversation with someone, uh, I can't remember when or where. I just remember them saying, like, oh you know this entrepreneurship mind of just like oh, you could start your own business you can get bigger you can blah, blah blah I can't remember what the whole conversation was but we were in a coffee shop and I was like so you think everyone here at this coffee shop should all start their own business they should all you think coffee shops shouldn't exist no one should work in a coffee interesting shop. yeah and they were like no I like the coffee shop I want to be in the coffee shop and get coffee from the coffee shop and I'm like but you're saying everyone here yeah should be able to, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like this kind of weird cycle of like, I, I don't know how that fits into like capitalism's goals, if that makes any sense. Capitalism's um, outcomes, I don't know. Yeah, this, we're I going mean, deep. We're going deep just before yeah, Christmas I, here, I, which I, mean, I love I, because why not? But no, I, I mean, I want to take us back to the warm place. Go to the warm place. Uh, and the question of sex homework, which I think is, is our, <laughs> our kind of final uh, topic on the agenda. And, you know, something that, you know, I, I think we like uh, we're about as well placed as anybody on the, with anybody on the planet to take sex homework from you, Bar. Uh, you know, like, it's my what, favorite what, homework to assign. <laughs> yeah. What do you got for our, our community here? 
yeah, I think that I think that uh, in terms of homework, one of the main things that I think people just don't, and I, again, I'm going to come back to the spectrum too, is that that we have checked out from really literally feeling what we're feeling on the inside. We think mm. a lot of external pressures to do what is expected of us to show up to our jobs and do these things but we often have so much trouble just putting into words how we're feeling about things how we feel on the day-to-day basis like right now I feel cramped my feet are cold um I'm tired but I'm really energized by this conversation like just kind of checking in with yourself daily because again it's a muscle that gets better and I think that applies to sex so much I think everyone should be masturbating way more (laughs) and surprising yourself when you masturbate that's the main my main homework and I think that we get into habits which is fine we get into we carve those little neural pathways into the ways that we please ourselves and the way the thing the pleasure and the way we seek pleasure um but yeah I just feel like if, if that amounts to anything I think everyone should just put something in their butt Oh, yeah, obviously, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. It's yeah. that is the homework I would assign. I have talked about this for so long. This this chat did go somewhere I didn't expect. (laughs) Uh, That... Come on, it's your body. You've been living I, it for years now. Yeah. What, what it's the equivalent. Of, it's like I'm 47 years old. I get it. It's right? like having an investment portfolio without buying any stocks. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is equivalent to anal. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uncharted territory on a body you've lived in for so long. Like, try it out. Do it alone. No one's watching. Well, I, I love the idea of surprising yourself while you masturbate. That's that's one of the biggest problems when I used to work at that shop. I used to work in a you know big beautiful sex toy store, and I would you know cut would come in, and these people would say, "I can't, you know, I can't get there anymore. I'm so bored. I don't know what to do." And they buy a bunch of toys. It doesn't matter how much you're stepping on the gas pedal if you're also jammed on the brake pedal. Like you need to figure out what's going on, and uh, the the juxtaposition of of danger or like or uncharted territory but also safety it's kind of like this these two things that butt up against each other are kind of what make arousal even happen because you have this excitement of something new you don't know what to expect but you know for a fact that you won't get hurt Mm -hmm. that's how arousal happens so i think honestly i think you know it's it's like like, uh, the difference between uncertainty and risk risk okay risk is probabilistic and you understand it uncertainty it's like oh am i gonna end up in the er i don't know right um anyway i continue to try to bring this back to finance but (laughs) i mean yeah like i what a great conversation i'm so glad that uh i mean that this happened i feel like you know uh we probably should have gotten you on like an earlier episode where we were all like located in the same space but one day uh, thank you Thank you for hopping in the back for in the in the back for us. That was I'm, super fun. Yeah, thank you for joining. Meet you in this way after. Yeah, about you. So I'm just like it was a really great conversation. Oh, it was super fun. Thank you for you know, like <laughs> I never get chats like this, and so I but I I live in a world where I love to be challenged, and so hearing 
you know, I definitely yeah. felt challenged. It was really Great. fun. I'm glad Thanks. to hear it. I, I really cool. enjoyed it. And I'll learn some things too. I have some things to learn too as well. So <laughs> the warm coffee shop concept. The warm coffee there you shop. go. <laughs> All, right. All right. Bye. Bye. I can't boot you off, Bahar, so you just have to close it. Bye. Bye. Uh, uh, that was super fun. Yeah. I mean, like shocking wow. for me even. But yeah. Um yeah. it's interesting, you know, we we do a lot of work in higher learning on negotiation. Mm-hmm. Like you can always, you can go to Harvard and get really your negotiation yeah. certificate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in here, like a lot of what I talk about in terms of like, how should we structure this decision-making process to make sure we get the best outcome? I never thought, I swear to God, Sloan, I never thought of like, consent as an input into like thinking about how do you do this until 22 minutes ago. Um, And so like now I admit that like there's a lot of people that have to think through like how do we get to a yes on a transaction, whether that transaction is, you know, people hooking up yeah, or people going on a movie and taking their top off versus like, oh, people making a decision to deploy capital. This is a fascinating conversation. It, yeah. And I, I think that there's, I mean, there's definitely like, there's a paper here probably, um, <laughs> you know, it could but, be, I mean, I know it's a nerdy thing to say, but, it, but like oftentimes we're all look, this was the reason why ESG took off. Yes. It was about getting different inputs yep. into your decision-making process so you could make a better decision. That's like the pure, correct form of ESG. Better yep. data, better decisions. But decisions are the key. And so understanding actually decisions as that central node of study, like there's at Stanford, we do a lot of stuff on decision science. Yep. And the word consent comes up a lot, but it just comes up in like, you know, board consent. Like we talk yeah, about board yeah, like consents a, all like the a, time. As this binary rubber stamp. Exactly. It is literally like, did you get the board consent? And it's like, okay, well now we can proceed to the next level. Uh, yeah. Like I, I think about this, like in terms of my mandate where like I designed it so that I could do for, I can do for instance, level one options, which means I can sell options against stuff. I haven't oh. done it. Hmm. Probably won't do it ever. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, I can. You know, yeah. like, so, you know, I, I think that there's that, like, you know, there, there's so many different touch points here. And like, I, I have gotten so much out of talking with clients about risk as a spectrum and decision making as a spectrum, um, you know, and so, like, I'm just, yeah, still, I know I'm a stereotype of myself sometimes. Uh, no, Sloan, I'm just still laughing about the end of that. Oh, about interview. butt stuff? Yeah. I mean, like, that's like, it, dude, if you haven't done that, you have no idea. All right, like, all right, all right. You're destroying right. shareholder value. You have no idea. Everyone on this thing, on this listening to this podcast, like, go put something in your butt. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> you'll be glad you did. Um, use plenty of lube. On um, that note. Yeah. So uh, what's been hard for you recently? <laughs> other than that conversation? <laughs> I came into this podcast been like, beep, bop, 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 and it's like, <laughs> my God. That was hard, but, but interesting. Okay. Hard things. Um, I'm looking, I, I'm real bad at getting to the point of being on vacation and being able to take vacation. I'm oh, so yeah. bummed to say this out loud, but like, I have like 95 emails I need to respond to and I'm supposed to start my vacation. I don't know, in three hours. And it's just not going to happen. Bankruptcy? Oh, I you, can't do that. You, so like what what I've done sometimes is go is I'll go like hey uh you know 
I, you're on a list of things that I need to get back to. I hit my limit. I have to leave. Mm. Respond, you know, re reply to this if you want, if you still want a response. This is still relevant oh. to any other people. Um, you know, so the, like, that idea. can be helpful. That could be um, helpful. I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of this is, like, created by my own work. And so <laughs> I could email yeah, exactly. myself and be like, do you still need this? And I'd be like, yeah. Uh, but anywho, I think that's what's hard for me. What's hard for you? Um, I'd say right now, what's hard for me is, you know, similar, take, making the time to go skiing. Um, oh. you know, like that we're in the beginning of the, of the time when I'm just like 45 minutes away from great skiing every day. Um, you know, and in order to actually capitalize on that, I need to do a couple of different things. Like I need to have my skis tuned, which is the easiest part. Yeah. Um, but I also need to like block out time and, yep. you know, make sure and do that. Um, you get a season pass. Oh yeah, get, gotta get the icon pass. Um, I think I got the icon pass this year. Oh seriously? Are Come they palisades? Uh, prob maybe. I don't know. It's either icon or epic. Epic um, is North Star because I had that one last year. Mm, yeah, I mean, we're just getting back into the skin, Sloan. We got to rap about that at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know Utah does have the greatest snow on on Earth. I know. Yeah. It's like we got the Sierra cement out here. It's like not good powder. Yeah, I mean, but like, we had uh, a lot of it last year which was real fun. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, same here. And like, I, I think what I've been trying to do is make contracts with friends to come out to Utah because that actually will get my ass up to the mountain. Uh, <laughs> For sure. Um, so yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, like, uh, let's, we're, we, let's go to some Dear Ashby's. Oh, yeah. um, this is a really interesting question. I was pondering, uh, what's the truest thing you know? I saw this and here's my three-part answer. Because I tried to get as deep as your question is deep. Uh, the truest thing I know is three parts. One, we're all going to die. Yep. Sorry. But that is the truest thing I know. Two, we'd all rather not die. We, we generally, I mean, except for people who take their own life, like we'd all rather keep going. And, and three, we as a society invent ideas and concepts that actually allow us to think. Um, we can kind of beat death. And the one that's obvious to me is religion. Yep. Uh, you know, like the whole concept of a, of a heaven is like, you're there. I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you on the other side. You know, like that is moving beyond your kind of corporeal form into, you know, the heavens. But it's interesting. The reason I, I thought of this and I wanted to talk about it was uh, I feel like there's a new generation of death deniers. I don't know what we would call them. I literally just pulled that out of my ass. But death, like where people are now starting to say, oh, the first person who's going to live to a thousand years is alive today. Oh, yep, 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 yep. yep and kind of tech uh, yeah, optimism. The, like the tech, no, whatever. Like, like people are going to th think they're going to inject themselves with a nanobot and that nanobot is going to remake their liver and their kidneys and their lungs and they're going to live forever. Yeah, or like the uh, billionaires with their blood boys. Yeah, the Blood Boy you know, Billionaires. That's yeah, a, yeah. a new band. Um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting, right? Like the truest thing I know is we're all probably going to die because guess what? No one has not di died yet. Like it's not like we can be like, oh, but that one guy made it. It's like, no, everybody is going to yeah. die. So that's about as true as it gets. I think that's, yeah. What I, about I, you? I, Do you have I, one? I think the truest thing that I know is my irrelevance. Oh. Um, you know, like, which is, you know, I think can be either, uh, like when I was younger, it was a hugely discomforting fact, mm. 
um, to just sort of be like, you know, I'm this, you know, irrelevant spec or whatever. Um, but as I've kind of aged and matured and like, you know, manifested my own identity and personality and whatever, I found it to be hugely liberating mm-hmm. um, because like, you know, the the cosmic scale relevance that I thought was really important when I was like 18 just doesn't matter at all. Yeah. You know, um, and so, yeah, I think like I am irrelevant is the truest thing I know, um, you know, or brought, but remember. Like, so the, the one I impressed you on that one is like we exist in um, in different contexts at different altitudes of size, right? So like yep. there's the universe altitude, there's the galaxies altitude, there's the solar system altitude, there's the planet, you know. Uh, you think you're in North America right now? Zoom out is like my favorite yep. joke, right? Um, <laughs> zoom out. Like you're on a rock. Um, yeah. And I think that's Pete Holmes's joke, but it's really funny when you, if you hear his bit on it. And But like, I promise you, you're highly relevant in a certain, yeah. at a certain level of altitude. That's, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, the, I think like galactically relevant is what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, know, me too like, then. We're all, yeah. I mean, at that point, like we're still just relevant as a you know as a solar system. We're hoping that one day we'll be relevant on a galactic level, and it's like absolutely insane to think we could ever be relevant in a universe, unless this is just a simulation in a machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which you know that's a that's a that's a fun thing that maybe that's a future dear Ashby question. Um, you know, this is an actual question that came okay. from from a, from someone. Just how do I claim my free money? Where do I where do I where do I get that? This one's getting harder. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. The free money from the Federal Reserve is gone away. Mm-hmm. Might come back now that inflation's coming down. I saw that this morning. Yep. Uh, inflation is actually down. Prices are down. Yep. It was pretty. I mean, like, actually, I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act, though we roasted it, like, looks the like stamp, the timestamp on it is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty good. It. It's like, oh, <laughs> inflation is high. Boom, coming down. Let's reduce it. Um, the other. Thing that's hard about finding free money is the crypto scam went away, uh, but that really might not have been free money because you were probably stealing it or taking it from an unsuspecting individual. You know, it, and it's a little bit back. I mean, it's like the is you know, it? I, yeah, like I, the we have I, we have a bunch of clients who are like you know have our their safe money with us and then they go fuck around with crypto. Shit, uh, <laughs> I yeah, still I mean, like, see it as just. Ugh. It's, uh, no, it is. It's. I mean, it's worse than nothing because it's like it basically justifies hugely emitting activity. It create like it creates a, a you know a balance sheet or a, an income statement for just random emissions. Um, yeah. You know. Um, so again, that's not even. It's free. You're stealing money and you're you're destroying the world. The greatest free things that I can think of are the following: uh, the garden concept that you and I invented. <laughs> We invented this, Sloan. I'm we invented a, I don't gardening. think yeah. people realize what we did. <laughs> we invented the concept, which um, it's just a trade secret. We're not going to patent it. Um, yeah, where people will pay you to plant your garden in order to capture the value of the offsets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, eventually, someday. So, so I'm having, yeah, like, let's be honest, we haven't actually done anything with the idea, but we had the idea, which I think yeah, is pretty and, powerful. And, and selling offsets is a lot trickier than it sounds. I mean, we're in the process of trying to do it right now. And oh boy, is the princess oh, always... The- <laughs> Back when we had this idea, we were quite naive. Is that what yeah, you're yeah. telling me? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. The uh, like now that I've actually sequestered carbon, uh, like in, in a real measurable way. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you. Okay. It's, that it is I got more free money. Yeah, yeah. I got oh, more nice. free money. Okay. Mon- Here's the next one. You own this one needs you to own your house. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Once you own your house, you a friend of mine will will give you money to turn your house to net zero. What she will require is to take, let's say your house is worth a million dollars. She will buy 5% of your house with cash, take your house to net zero, thereby reducing your energy footprint and immediately, according to Zillow, increasing the value of your home by up to 10%. What that means is you've taken a million dollar house, you've taken $50,000 into it, and you've basically, you know, you're the you have fifty thousand of cash that was converted into net zero. You now own ninety five percent of that house. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. The new value of your house is one point one million dollars. So you that's own ninety five. So literally, that's free money. Yep. I think that's, that is like actually like one of the few cases of magic money invention out of nothing. Yeah. And it's because people don't have the wherewithal to go get a loan to go get this net zero. It's also hard to know how to do net zero. And so yeah, there's like a, a premium on those homes that are net zero. Yep. Anyway, that's the coolest. That's a really good, that's, that's a great free money tip. Um, yeah. Know, and also just a really innovative way to fund that and invest in real estate. Um, yeah, that's my friend Diane Schrader at Third Act. She's like invented all this cool stuff. We should have her on at some point. Absolutely. Long. Um, yeah, maybe she could speak to this last question, which is uh, you know fascinating to me. Uh, <laughs> you know, is shrimps bugs? <laughs> I am really tempted to just say yes. I I, I think you kind of have. They're to. just delicious bugs. Um, I mean, I mean crawfish. I think we would all agree are just bugs. Yeah. Right? Those crawfish yeah, boils, you're just boiling bugs. Yeah. I mean, so like, so really, you know, feeding people cockroaches is a very, you know, sensible and realistic. Well, like, uh, let me explain to you the concept of escargot. <laughs> okay. Yep. These are snails, but it's not quite right because these snails live in water. Right. So it's not like the snails that you and I see outside our houses after a rain. These are snails like shrimp that live in water and uh, they cook them up. They put them in these fun little escargot trays, which maybe you've had. And really, for those of you who haven't had escargot, they are just a garlic butter delivery device. Yep. They don't have much taste. Yeah. I can make a vegan equivalent by putting a piece of bread in a pile of garlic and vegan butter. That's it. That's what that's what it's for. Um, So, so anyway, I think, I think they are just kind of like bugs and, and I think people used to eat a lot of bugs and frankly, bugs sort of got cool again, maybe about five or six years ago. Like maybe, maybe out, maybe out in Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, no, out here for sure is out here. Yeah. <laughs> Fair call. <laughs> yeah. That is like the, uh, yeah, I've been, you know, inexcusably close to ground various... up bugs. I meant yeah, to yeah. say. Yeah. Like, like the movie Snowpiercer. Oh fuck! That is just real <laughs> bad. That is, but we were. Ha- I've eaten a bug, ch- a chocolate bar, a bug bar. Um, it, it was awful. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I've had the, I've had cricket tacos, which are not bad. Um, oh, all right. You know the like. The kind of Does that count like, for you? I, I, like I with, mean, 
or now? would it be vegan? Um, yeah. This was before I went vegan. I would, I would still count uh, crickets. Yeah, as, still as, you're hurting a creature, right? Yeah, like I won't eat honey, you know, because it's an yeah. insect that's, you know, or wear silk, same thing. Um, but yeah, huh. like the, huh. Okay, everything is bugs. Um, what do you got for me in the gardening front, monk? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. Um, what do you, I mean, I, look, I'm in this phase right now where, Starting on January 1st, we have a whole new tree planting that we're about to do. We've um, went out and we bought like 25 trees that are going to arrive on the 1st, and then we're going to go plant it down the hill. Um, and so I'm, I like admit that I'm using the rains right now to start like digging holes. Well, there's my tip. Yeah. We, we <laughs> live. rains to dig holes. Yeah. Like we live in a place with, with soil that is clay. It is insane to dig. And so literally you time your tree planting for the rainy season because that's the only time you can get deep holes dug. Hmm. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a link to a drill bit auger, uh, that makes that a lot easier. Uh, oh, please do. Too. Um, but the, uh, yeah, like, I mean that like the, my, my tip is just don't put, don't rake your leaves um i like that one they're called leaves for a reason because um, you leave them there because you leave them there i mean you can you know gardening dorks will know that you can take take leaves from your garden put them aside and like kind of let them ferment into something called leaf mold which is really oh. really good at um you know kind of retaining water hmm. um and it's like you know if you if you've got like a big pile in the back you, you know that you just haven't touched you probably have a bunch of great leaf mold at the bottom of it yeah um but like they decompose naturally, you know, by springtime a lot of the time, um, you know, so in hmm. places where we're trying to, you know, kind of augment the garden, what I've done is actually rake or move the leaves into these piles where I'm trying to, where I'm going to add new compost in the spring and, um, you know, kind of have a nice little layer of more organic material in there. Also, you know, all sorts of insects like the nest in the leaves. So, um, always it's great ideas. Habitat like the one you just provided that make me a little frustrated that we need to tell people how they can claim their free money. There's so much free money you just have delivered. Like you're not <laughs> going to have to pay to blow the leaves around. You're not going to have to hire a gardener. You know, you just leave the leaves. That's free. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's right there in the name too. I mean, like, you know, it's like some, some it's just some jerk that convinced you that you need to, you to rake them. It's a big rake. Uh, yeah, no, no purchasing of big rakes. More free yeah. money. So yeah, so in summary of this episode, put things in your butt. Ah! Um, don't buy a rake. Uh, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I broke. You Ashley. got me. You broke me <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Uh, I loved it. Uh, well, happy yeah. holidays, Sloan. Happy holidays to you, and happy holidays to all of you uh, out there in listener land. Love we you all. Love bye. you. Bye. Bye. Um...